Hello, Code Story listeners. Today, we have a bonus episode for your enjoyment. Recently, I sat down with Noah Bragg and Ben Mann on the Product Journey podcast and discussed my startup variable. In our chat, we jumped into early beginnings, execution, and talked through some of the ways we measured product market fit. I'd encourage you to check out their podcast. It's great. Product Journey. Check it out for more stories on building, launching, struggling, and succeeding in creating a profitable online business. Before we jump into the episode, I'd like to ask a favor. If you're enjoying the show, please consider leaving us a rating and a review. And if you are so inclined, consider supporting the show financially by buying some Code Story gear at codestory.co slash store, or by checking us out on Patreon by going to codestory.co slash Patreon. For just five to 10 bucks a month, you would be making a huge difference. Enjoy today's bonus episode with our new friends, Noah and Ben, on the Product Journey Podcast. I'm Noah. And I'm Ben. And you're listening to Product Journey. So this is going to be kind of interesting. We've had a, a Ben on the podcast before, and now we have another Noah on the podcast. <laughs> I love it. We just got to keep challenging ourselves. <clears throat> the ben- Try to make it confusing. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it may need to be renamed or spun off to the, the Ben and Noah podcast, and it's just Ben and Noah guests. <laughs> yeah. And we, we don't allow any others. <laughs> That's right. That is excellent. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> So we have Noah Lebhart on the podcast today, and just to tell you a little bit about him, and Noah, you can correct me if I botch any of this up, but you've had four businesses in the past seven years, and currently you're the co-founder and CTO of Variable, which is a marketplace for on-demand labor for manufacturing and warehouse work. Um, So it's kind of in the gig economy um, and then in the past, you've done TouchTap, which is uh, digital solutions, kind of like mobile applications, mostly for startups, is from what I could tell. But it seems like maybe you're you're not doing that as much anymore, TouchTap. Maybe I'm wrong with that. But yeah, so that's kind of your background a little bit. Um, so we're we're excited to dive into some topics here with you. Um, we we always like to dive into topics that are. I guess, related to things that we're struggling with or dealing with currently in our businesses. Um, So two of the things we kind of picked out that I thought would be interesting that we're, you know, we're interested in are product market fit and how you've dealt with that and then execution, like how you execute on your business, your plan, things like that. So we'll we'll dive into some more questions. with that. So yeah, we're glad to have you on the on the podcast. Super stoked to be here. Thanks for having me and and great job on the podcast. I know you guys are 20ish episodes in and and I really enjoy the show. So so uh great Thanks. great job. So am, am I right that you're you're mostly focused on variable now? Is that true? That is true. Yeah, variable and then um my podcast code story are kind of my two primary focuses right now. Uh, TouchTap has taken a back seat, um, and we're kind of winding it down, um, just cause it's hard to focus on, on two 
full-time businesses at, at once. Um, right. And, and some, some successes in other areas kind of make you sit down and think, well, why am I, why am I beating my head against the wall on things that maybe aren't producing as much as other things? So, yeah. So with variable, how did uh, you guys come up with that, that idea? Like how did that come, come about? Sure. Good question. So my, we, my partner, Mike Kinder, uh, who's uh, our, our CEO and I'm the co-founder and CTO, uh, we got hooked up through a mutual friend, Rylan Barnes. He um, was a successful entrepreneur, uh, created Shop Savvy, sold it, bought it back, just re-released it. Um, so he's a, been a longtime friend of mine. We were college roommates at Texas A&M. And I was doing touch tap, doing the startup building thing for other people. And I was like, you know, I want to give my own a shot. I want to, I just want to give this a shot and see if I can make something work. And, um, you know, at the time, I think this has evolved in me a little bit, but at the time I wasn't the idea guy. I was the executor. So, you know, mm-hmm. I was like, give me your idea and I'll make it happen. Um, and so I was like, Hey, Rylan, you know, anybody that's looking for, you know, a CTO, um, you know, a co-founder someone to help, help them build their product, uh, you know, introduce us. We'll, we'll, um, we'll see if we can make it work. And, and so, it, um, so he was like, immediately was like, you need to talk to Mike. Uh, Mike was, <laughs> you know, good friends with his older brother. And he's like, Mike's got this idea. I think you guys would really connect. So we got together for lunch, talked about the idea, um, so Mike, Mike has been a director of operations or operations manager in many plants, um, most prominently for GE for a long time, and then was a, a director of strategy at PwC for a long time. So he would go and essentially look at operations for manufacturing plants and, and tell them what they were doing right and wrong, um, how they can improve it. And he, he actually, the idea originated with Mike. He, can't, he saw all this new technology being introduced into manufacturing but he also saw no one being able to take advantage of it because they have, because they hadn't solved their capacity problem. Um, you know, they can add in all of these new bells and whistles that cost millions and millions of dollars, but if they can't flex up and flex down their labor, they can't essentially take advantage of the, the new paradigms in manufacturing. Um, so, uh, you know, he pitched the idea to me. He was like, Hey, what, you know, what do you think about building, you know, the Uber for manufacturing labor, essentially. Um, we don't love that tagline now, but we still use it because <laughs> people connect with it. Makes sense. Yeah, right. <laughs> and and so we um, uh, so we pitched it to me and uh, a little bit of history. I've, I worked in a manufacturing plant as a college kid, so I understand the shop floor as a worker. Um, and then I supported manufacturing at Alcon Laboratories for three or four years while I was there. Um, and so I understood the shop floor from a management perspective too. And I I just, it just clicked, you know, I, I could shoot holes and start up ideas all day. (laughs) And this one, this one, I couldn't, I really couldn't shoot holes in it. So I talked to my wife and, and we had a conversation about it and decided, okay, let's, let's, um, let's give it a shot and see where it goes. And, and here we are, you know, three years later, our, our team is, uh, 60, it's going to be 80 by the end of the year. And um, we're in yeah we're in seven states now yeah seven states and grown grown fast. That sounds yeah, pretty that's awesome. awesome. <laughs> um, so to me, two sided marketplaces sounds like really really hard. <laughs> um, <laughs> I would probably not even try because I <laughs> I'm having trouble even you know finding customers for one of the sites. 
Um, so it would be pretty interesting <laughs> to hear how you how you went about and found the first users, like basically for each side. <laughs> sure, that's that's a great question because it is it's a chicken the egg problem. Yeah. Um, you know, we started out uh, with a with a hypothesis, which is what we how we kind of approach most things. Um, we get some feedback. We look at the market. Um, you know, we use our, our smarts and understanding of, of, of the market and say, okay, this is what we think, right? This is what we, what we think is the best route. And so what we thought was that the supply side of the equation, which we, which we consider the operators or the workers, we call them operators, um, were going to be harder to recruit than the businesses. The businesses were going to get it. They're just going to sign up quick and we've got to make sure there's enough workers there to keep businesses um, excited about the platform. So that's how we started. Um, we started first by building the mobile app and sort of simultaneously building the, the web portal for businesses as well. Um, but when we finished the mobile app, we started promoting it, getting people to sign up, going out to warehouses, manufacturing plants, going to schools, um, going to food trucks, going to different places where we thought people would hang out, would be interested. Um, and this kind of work and started to build the, um, the user base of workers with a, Hey, this is coming soon. Um, this is going to be a new way for you to be able to get work. Um, we're finishing it. So why don't you go ahead and sign up so that you're notified immediately. Yeah. When we launched, we, we had probably 200, 200 to 300 people sign up and download the app, which wasn't huge, but it was for, for really only needing, um, a handful to start with one business that was we felt pretty good about that yeah um, and then at that point we really started hitting the businesses saying hey we got these workers ready to work and you want to use them and on february uh 17th that was the 17th i think it was the 17th sometime in the middle of february um in 2016 2017 excuse me we did, we had our first op which is our first work opportunity um where we had people show up and we processed our first $160 payment. <laughs> Sweet. <laughs> <laughs> a quick word from today's sponsors. Starting a podcast and building an audience is hard. It's even harder to do alone. Podcasters have made the same mistakes over and over again. That's why Virtually's Podcasting School is here to help. Virtually's Podcasting School is a community of students who are working hard to get their message out through podcasting. You'll go through a rigorous eight-week program that helps you master the essentials of building and growing an audience. And you'll be doing it alongside other highly driven and creative podcasters who are in the same stage as you. Each instructor is a successful podcaster themselves and will help you achieve the same results. You'll learn core concepts like scripting, recording, and editing, but also other stuff that no one ever seems to talk about like community building, creating a sales funnel, leveraging social for growth, negotiating sponsorship deals, and so much more. Take the first step and apply today at tryvirtually.com slash podcasting and get started on building your viral podcast. I'm curious, was uh, <clears throat> kind of just with the, the structure of what you're doing with Variable, was it like very different to how manufacturers currently work where it was kind of like disrupting things where maybe they're like, uh, we don't do things that way or we can't do it like that. Oh, you hit the nail on the head. That's a, um, that's a big thing for manufacturers, um, is sort of the way we've always done it kind of thing. 
Um, mm-hmm. And so we spend a lot of time educating businesses on a new way to um, a new labor paradigm. We'll call it. There's there's your full time labor. There's even temp staffing, which we get confused for a lot. We're not temp staffing. Um, so, you know, there's like staff augmentation. So people, you know, you're going to need for a longer amount of time than, you know, a discrete amount of time, maybe a year or, or months or something like that. That's where temp staffing fits in. But then there's also, you you don't know what you don't know based on your forecast. So, you know, if your demand spikes, if your sales, te- your sales team goes out and kills it, which you want, you want all the time, <laughs> right? Yeah. And you've got a spike of orders, you're not going to go back. You don't want to go back to those customers and say, yeah, we can get those orders for you, but it's going to be six months extra time because we don't have enough people. Right. Um, you want to be able to bring in the, the labor to do the work right then and get them out on a, on a, uh, on a time schedule uh, or, or on a legitimate time schedule. So um, we do spend a lot of time educating businesses on, we're not temp staffing. This is a new labor paradigm. This allows you to do things that you've been dreaming about doing, but haven't been able to. <laughs> yeah. <clears throat> Interesting. So um, kind of jumping into product market fit kind of stuff. How do you, you know, you have this idea, you're, you're starting to work towards it. You build the app. What's kind of what was your guys's you and Mike's strategy to know like okay things are going well things are going where we want to be like we're getting closer to product market fit. Sure, uh, it's a great question. Um, you know, we we kind of do a pretty normal cycle and making sure we're we're building a product for the market. Um, you know, we we do voice of the customer type of stuff. We do. Um, you know, feedback from our workers, uh, our businesses, uh, from all levels of those individuals. We sort of craft personas of those people and what's important to them. So it, it's hard to it's hard to know or it's hard to answer. Like this was the point where we knew we had product market fit. I think from the from the beginning we knew we we knew we had a fit for the market, but was the market actually? Um, you know, subscribing to it yet, if that makes sense. Um, mm-hmm. So we iterated on on the app. Um, we kind of got out there and got a starting point. We tried to do more of the ready, fire, aim mentality, um, which is hard as an engineer because you want to perfect everything. <laughs> um, but, you know, get something out. Get the, the, the best thing you can get out quickly. And, um, and then ask and then watch, you know, watch your analytics, watch your signups, watch the feedback that comes in from, you know, support standpoint, like, Hey, I'm having an issue, um, here. Um, and it probably, if I was to put a time frame on it, it was probably six months after that initial launch that we felt like we had a good core product that we could offer the market that the market really wanted and were subscribing to. Um, and from that point, we sort of shifted our focus to protecting that core product and building on top of it. So making sure that anything we built on top of that core product didn't disrupt that um, the value that businesses wanted. So you already mentioned that geographically you expanded quite a bit. Um, I was also wondering how else, maybe even in the technical terms, um, how you managed to scale that like from those first like first 200 uh, workers or operators um, 
growing it from there. How did that go about? Yeah, absolutely. Um, so, so that's a, an interesting comparison. So, two hundred ish, you know, three hundred when we started. Now we've got thirty um, thousand workers that are regularly wow. on the platform working. That's awesome. And we've got seventy five thousand active people. So people that are looking, but maybe not haven't haven't gotten to work yet, or yeah. have worked but aren't working anymore. Um, so we've gotten a lot of good good traction there. Um, but as far as the the scaling part of it. Um, there's two things that we look at as far as scaling, scaling the business and then scaling the technology. And I can speak to both scaling, scaling the business for us because we're having to do so much education, um, having to do so much, um, almost consulting work, almost like, um, coming in and helping someone craft their operation around a new labor paradigm, kind of educating a lot, um, which we don't plan on doing long term but but it's kind of the nature of an older business the nature of of who we're serving we're having to do a lot of that so we scaled our business based on um sort of looking at high density areas of people high density areas of uh the industry uh, industry activity um and then also um places where we could put people uh, boots on the ground. So we have market teams in each geographical market that we occupy. And we think that's important because manufacturing, um, as I mentioned, we we were having to educate, educate a lot of uh, people on this new paradigm, but also manufacturing is, is big on relationship. So it's big on um, someone face to face kind of uh, being able to talk to you, have a conversation before they adopt a lot of new things. So, so that's proven really useful, and that's not normal for technology. You know, normally, tech you want to you know buy a bunch of Facebook and Google ads and just get the word out and yeah, have everybody yeah. sign up. And it's sort of a different um, different industry we're serving, uh, which is important for us to know. Um, on the technology side, uh, there's two ways we have scaled. Um, one we're just starting to get into. Um, the second one, I'll talk about that one in a minute. The first one, we built uh, the solution in the cloud from the from the get go. And built it on Amazon, and have scaled infrastructure, um, you know, servers, replicating servers, uh, you know, database pipeline, uh, throughput, um, all of the infrastructure scalability levers we we've pulled until we essentially can't pull them anymore. Um, <laughs> so, so you know, we started out building a monolithic backend, um, and it served us really well. Um, we've been really happy with it. It's done well, but we're getting to the point where we can't really just throw more money at infrastructure. We've got, <laughs> we've, we've got to start, um, we've got to start evaluating a new way. So we are actually in the middle of, of, of a backend redesign or separation using microservices, using, um, Kubernetes and Docker, um, which I'm really excited mm-hmm. about. It's a really fun exercise, and we're lucky to have the opportunity to get to do it early. We we have done some decently sophisticated forecasting in our infrastructure, mapping to growth plans, and and we're able to see, hey, we got about nine months before we really just totally crack this, and and we gotta we gotta really get to work. So um, that's good because we have a little breathing room. We have have uh, it's going to be fun to architect it. It's just a really cool engineering problem. <laughs> yeah, I like how you yeah. are still excited about that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's still early. Maybe I'll have different uh, different thoughts later. <laughs> it won't be fun. Maybe if if there's some big roadblocks or something. Yeah, I'm sure there will be. Yeah, (laughs) talking about Docker containers and microservices. (laughs) Absolutely. 
I mean, I know you mentioned <clears throat> there wasn't like this moment where you felt like, oh, we have product market fit, but like in some ways, like it sounds like you're starting to focus on more, I guess, not necessarily product market fit challenges. Like, I don't know, like doing, redoing the back end and stuff like that. To me, that kind of sounds more like this is now a, like a scaling thing where in some ways you've, you guys have made it in the business to the point where it's like, okay, we know what we're doing is good. It's what we need to do. Now we can focus on just making things better or, or scaling it. Um, so yeah, like, was there, like, when did that point come along where you're like, okay, now we're focusing more on scaling and rather than, uh, still not sure if what we're doing is the right solution. Right, right. Sure. No, that's a, that's a, that's a great question. If I look at it a little bit differently. So if I look at the timeline of what we've did, so we launched February, you know, mid February, 2017, and we essentially did a small pilot with probably five or six businesses to prove, to prove the concept. Um, Mm -hmm. and, and so, you know, if I look at that as like a, you know, product market fit gauntlet, um, that was probably the time frame. And that's kind of the six month time frame I was referring to earlier is like, okay, you know, we had, we had four or five businesses using the platform, um, that were, that knew they were early businesses that knew that, Hey, this is a brand new idea, you know, um, we'll work with you on cost or, or whatnot, but you know, we want you to work with us on helping us shape this product. And so I think after that six month time frame, we felt really good about the product we had made, the tight core product. Um, and then beyond that, we started to, again, protect that tight core product, but then look for ways to enhance it. So uh, on both sides of the marketplace, which is it's just also really fun to have two different types of customers because you're building, you get to essentially build two, two sides to the solution, um, different bells and whistles for both, um, which is interesting because they both have different problems. You know, for the worker side, they want to be able to see the work quick, bid on the work quick, get paid quick and get to the next opportunity. Right. And so it's got to be super simple. It's got to be super enjoyable experience that you got to make them want to come back. Um, so we added in some gamification. We've added in some pointing systems. We've, we've, um, we, we pay our workers daily. So they get paid the next day after they do a job. So if they are stringing together a bunch of work over a month, they get essentially a rolling paycheck, which our, our operators really like. Um, on the businesses mm-hmm. side, they want visibility. They want to be able to see who they're going to work with. They want to be able to see their resume. They want to be able to build a labor pool, essentially a, a favorites list. Um, and so, um, so they have different problems to solve there. Um, so, and, you know, kind of roping that back into the product market fit. I think that after that six month, six, we'll call it six to eight month time frame, um, we really started to focus on okay, we have a foundation of what is working. Um, let's start making that. Let's start building in some uh, enhancements. Um, I don't want to say bells and whistles because it's not just, they're not just making noise. They're, um, they're enhancing the experience for our operators and businesses as well. Was there, it, it almost seems like you guys had this idea and in some ways you hit the head right on the needle with that original plan maybe like, or, or was there like, like it doesn't sound like there was a pivot in there or something where you're like, okay, we were really off here. Do you, was it really kind of like kind of your first go at it was a pretty, like this was, this is what worked kind of thing. Or did you really learn some things or like, okay, we were really wrong there. Sure. No, um, that's a, it's a, Great question. There was definitely some things that were wrong on. Um, the the core idea 
to answer your, I have to answer your question two two different ways. One, yes, the core idea was was right, um, and I feel like we got that right coming out of the gate. Um, and as we built that, we just saw more and more traction. Uh, some of the things we got wrong though were some of our initial hypothesis. So I mentioned earlier we thought it was going to be harder to to recruit the supply side, the worker side of our of our marketplace. Mm-hmm. It actually has one hundred percent been the other way. Um, it's been very easy to get, well, I, I won't say easy, don't hear me say easy. It's been, um, we've been able to streamline and, and in some ways automate the, uh, the way that we bring in workers onto the platform, the operators. And we have a, we've had large success there. Um, we have had uh, a harder time, um, with businesses and, um, you know, they're not, what we found is that, you know, we have to educate them a lot. They're not, they're more based on relationships or it's a little bit longer play to get them to sign up. And then as, as well as you can't just throw advertisements at the manufacturing industry industry. Um, we're just now starting to explore, like going to trade shows, going to other, you know, other sorts of mediums to try to get in front of these users. And, and so that hypothesis or, um, you know, original hypothesis was totally flopped on its head. And we're like, wow, we were, we were wrong about that. It's much harder to get the businesses. So, um, we've had to shift gears there. Um, as far as the, you know, the product itself, I I would say that we were wrong about some of the, some of the ways that we built the initial product. And I'm not sure, um, I'll, I'll call them wrong. Um, but it, I think they're more of smoothing growth factors. Uh, the way that we built some of the uh, onboarding pieces for the businesses were, were too long, um, too much information to expect a business to put in early. Um, and, so, mm-hmm. and so we had to kind of dial that down and change how we requested payment information or uh, work type of work information or information about their operation. Um, we also had to change how they were posting work to optimize that. It was, it was sort of taking a long time for businesses to fill out, you know, um, a huge form. And we went through several iterations of that to, you know, try to figure out what was the, the right way to display this information and where were pieces, where were bits of the form that we could, um, you know, store data, optimize, um, and make it easier for our users. So, we definitely got some of those things wrong as well. Yeah. So I follow up on that. So like during that whole phase, I guess, where you're, you're learning these things and like optimizing, like making things better. Were you still finding though, that your customers, like the businesses and those people were still like very wanting to work with you? Because it's like, for example, for me, like I've experienced in the past kind of that feeling of like, okay, I think this is the right idea. Like, I think this is going to be great. Um, but then even though things aren't polished, um, the, my customers might not be as excited about as me or like they're not, they're not maybe seeing the value in it. And then I, you, you kind of just talk to yourself like, oh, well, maybe I just need to polish this a little bit and make that a little bit better. And like kind of knowing the difference between just polishing and maybe there's a problem with the original value proposition. Sure. No, it's a, <clears throat> it's a good question and a good point. And it's a good thing to consider, right? Cause there's, 
there's a balance there of, you know, maybe it's this one person that just doesn't like the color here or doesn't like, you know, (laughs) you know, the way this is laid out. Right. Or is this a market problem or is this a, like a total industry problem? And how, how we went about that was in the early days, we would sit down with these businesses and just watch them. We would sit down um, with the initial product and just be like, hey, I just want to watch you use the product. I want to watch you post your work. I want to see where you get tripped up on. And and then we would take feedback from that. Or we would sit down and be like not quite open-ended um, conversations because that can go all over the place. You want to come in with sort of an idea of, of, mm-hmm. of the input or the feedback you want to get. I would definitely recommend that. Um, but we would go back, we would go back to these businesses and just say, Hey, you know, as it relates to your operation, how does this help you solve it? You know, does it, where do you get tripped up? Where does it provide value? Where does it not provide value? How could it provide value for you? And and we really, I mean, we sat down and listened and in doing that a number, number of times we took the, the items that were, you know, consistent across all of the businesses and all of the workers and, and really tried to make amends to some of the features. So, you know, if it was something where we were close, um, you know, we were hitting the nail on the side of the head instead of right on it, we would polish, you know, we'd focus on polishing. Um, if it was something that we were way off and we didn't even think about, we would, mm-hmm. you know, consider starting over. We would either get more feedback or we'd be like, okay, the market's telling us that this feature is not what they want. Um, so we, we either need to ditch it, bury it or change it. Um, and we would go, we would go about that planning strategic process. So that's, that's how we did it. And it, it seemed to work pretty well. <laughs> that's pretty interesting. Um, another thing following up on that is, did you have any competitors at that point? Like, um, could you, could you like look left and right and see other people doing the same? Or were you like the only ones trying to do it that way? That's that's a very interesting question because it's it's a yes and no question. So we didn't <laughs> we didn't have direct competitors because who we serve we serve manufacturing, logistics, supply chain, distribution, the whole the whole gamut of that industry, the industrial environments uh, solely. So our product is built for them, um, is built as an operational tool. Now we had some sort of direct slash indirect competitors who were trying to. <clears throat> basically build tech enabled staffing. So there's a handful of people out there that are just um, trying to make temp staffing work in a, in an efficient way using technology, um, which, you know, is, is working for temp staffing. Right. Um, and that's, that's great. Um, so we did have some people to watch who were doing that. Um, they did have some marketplace type tools that we were able to, um, you know, see and kind of see what was working and what was not for them um, as far as, you know, some of the engagement factors or some yeah. of the onboarding processes, um, even some of the, the legal components of, of workers <laughs> and things. And so we were able to watch some of that. But but again, so that's why it's yes and no, because it, it, it is yes in that it's sort of like marketplaces, but it's no because they're not serving uh, manufacturing specifically. Yeah, that makes sense. Um, another point I just, uh, while, you were, while you were talking, um, it seems like you had to build a lot of trust with the companies first because it was like easy to get the, get the operators on board. Um, like, would you agree? And would you say that there is something specific that you did to like try to gain the company's trust at first? Sure. Um, 
we did and, and we still do today, we come in, and it seems pretty simple, but um, we come in and, and we don't try to sell them. Um, we come in and we tell them, hey, we're operations people too. We understand the environment you're in. Um, we think you probably have problems in this area, this area, this area, and this area, and this is how we can solve those problems. This is the value we can bring to you. Yeah. We're not going to waste, we don't want to waste your time in this big flashy sales pitch, you know, and this <laughs> big, cause in, manufacturing won't have it. They'll tell you to get out and just leave. Um, <laughs> but if you come in saying, you know, Hey, I know you, I've been in your seat. Um, this will really help you. And these are the metrics that you know. Um, and this is where it will help those metrics. This is where it will help your day to day. Um, and, and sort of speaking that message across the gamut of personas at that company too. So, you know, you've got your, your VPs, your CEOs, um, that have one message they need to hear your operations. People need to hear a different message. And then your HR people, since we're dealing with people also have a different message that they need to hear as well. So you kind of kind of have to hit on some of those personas depending on who's in the room. Yeah, I like that approach. <laughs> yeah, that sounds like, well, it really sounds nice. Like it sounds like you guys have the value propositions where they can kind of do the selling for you because they're like, it's, it's working. It sounds like it's really helping these businesses. So it's like, you don't have to go to this whole effort to sell them or do any tricks <laughs> to to get them to buy. It's more just like, yeah, look, this is going to help you, and that's great. <laughs> we'll buy. We'll do it. <laughs> that's right. Yeah, if, if if you can sit down and, and tell a customer, which our customers are manufacturing or, or workers, right? If you can tell the customer, hey, this is the value you're going to get out of it. Uh, do you want it or not? You know, and and if they don't want it, <laughs> yeah. we can say, well, shame on you. I mean, it's. it's <laughs> It's your operation. You're saying you don't want the value, and so it's a, it is it's a it's an easier sell, but it's kind of a long play sell still because it's a it's about relationship and and um, mm -hmm. you know coming in and saying I know your operation, um, you know I know you types of things like that. So yeah, that's a great place to be though. So uh, I heard that you mentioned on another podcast that. Uh, that you're really that you feel like you're really good at execution and so i wanted to ask like how does someone get good at execution oh that's a good question um haven't thought about that um so i think there's two things that come to mind with executing um one i think that there's a little bit of foundational um person definition in there, like um, I, I am an executor because that's how God made me. You know, <laughs> uh, mm -hmm. there's a little bit of that for for me where um, I'm not I'm not the visionary. Um, I think some of that's changing in me. Like I mentioned earlier, I'm starting to have some ideas percolate, but uh, I've I haven't been the visionary. I've been more the the doer. Let's let's go do this. Um, because that's, that's how, how I made, but how does someone get good at it? Um, I think they pay a lot of attention to project management. Um, and to, to me, that's where something really clicked in my head when I started getting into project management. So I'm a, I'm a PMP. So I'm a project management professional from my old days in Alcon and took the four hour test, learned about all the project, project management, um, principles of putting a plan together, breaking down work, all those things. And 
in doing that, I'd say if I was to strip out the most important things of of project management and how that applies to being a good executor, it would be breaking down the work, prioritizing the work, and monitoring and measuring it. And so you know, if you want to execute something, you've got to know what you're trying to solve. And that's not down to like the minute, you know, um, but it is it is down to a level that is measurable. Um, you got to put that plan together on what's in, based on what's important. And that means dependencies. That means resources, things like that. And then you got to execute it and monitor it. I mean, you got to watch it. You got to hold people accountable. Um, you have to shift the plan if there's something unforeseeable or uh, something that has happened that, um, you know, that, that is, a, that is affecting the plan and, and it's, and it's not just laziness, you know, it's, it's like, Hey, we didn't think mm-hmm. about this. So this, this changes the plan or, um, things like that. So I'd say those three things, break down the work, um, prioritize the work and then monitor the work if you really want to execute something. That makes sense. <laughs> Um, talking about prioritizing, um, you have a lot of your, on your plate and, um, you also have kids, you have a family, you're doing the podcast. How, how are you doing it? (laughs) Like what's, what's your secret? (laughs) So about once a month, I just crash and sleep for two hours. (laughs) That's what I thought. (laughs) Um, you know, it's, it's interesting. Uh, that does happen. Um, (laughs) It does happen. I think that would happen regardless, though, just just with having kids. <laughs> you know, i i work I work hard at, and I don't always succeed at this, but I work hard at work life harmony. Um, one of our investors in Variable mentioned, um, "There's no such thing as work life balance. It's work life harmony. And if you're doing the things that you love, work doesn't always feel like work. So yeah, you know, that's like true." Doing, Doing a podcast for me, um, you know, Code Story is really fun. I really enjoy it. I really enjoy talking to other, you know, tech-minded folks about what they went through to build to build their products. And Code Story allows me to do that. So it's more like a hobby to me, um, uh, which is dangerous because uh, it could be you could become a workaholic pretty quickly. Um, you know, I try to remember what's what's really important. Um, and what's really important is, is my faith, my wife and my kids, and I try to put them first and then I try to fit everything in else, uh, around that. Um, so far it's, it's working pretty well. I, I don't always succeed. Sometimes I work way too much. Sometimes I crash and sleep 14 hours. Um, or, you know, sometimes I'm, I can be a grumpy mess, uh, <laughs> but <laughs> but I I try really hard to find the harmony between everything. Um, I I can say you know you know you're asking how do how do I do all these things? I can tell you one part that I'm that I don't always do well, and that's shutting down a project. So I I have a hard time um, knowing when something's dead and it needs to be killed off, or if it's it needs to be killed off or needs to be dead. Um, so, you know, like, like a winding down touch tap for me, like I mentioned earlier, it's, it was my baby. I left corporate America and started touch tap and did it for several years before variable. And, um, it was, it was my baby and I didn't ever want it to die. Um, and I don't, I don't think I'll fully kill it. I think I'll just put it on the shelf, but there is a point where, you know, we weren't, we were. My, me and my family were able to take, you know, some salary off of it, 
and it's no longer at that point where it's really making us uh, money. Um, so it's like, okay, this is just working to work and it doesn't make sense. And even though it's your baby, like you gotta, you gotta do something because it's, it's not working. So, yeah. yeah. Um, that's hard. That's, that's difficult for me. Um, so I, I, I try to continuously look at that and, um, say, okay, is this working or not? And I'm not very good at it. <laughs> <laughs> um, kind of part of that I have, so I have a, a one-year-old and I have a family as well. So Congrats. I'm curious. Thanks. Yeah. I'm curious, like, how did you get, and this probably was back with touch tap, I would guess, but how did you get like your spouse on board with this, <laughs> with this whole entrepreneur thing and taking a leap? And it's obviously not easy, especially in the beginning. So how did you kind of work with her to get her on board with that? Uh, that's a great question. Um, you know, she is an amazing woman and I, I married up for sure. She um, <laughs> puts up with a lot of, a lot of stuff for, from me. Um, and you know, uh, when I was in corporate America, um, I was, so I worked at Alcon Laboratories, amazing company, amazing people, great people. I was very well taken care of. I was a manager at six people underneath me. We were supporting manufacturing. I mean, things were, things were good. Um, but, but I started to feel like I wasn't making a difference cause I wasn't, um, you know, it didn't matter how hard I worked or how much change I created or championed. It, it didn't really, it didn't really move the needle. Um, and so, you know, she would see me come home and just be sort of depressed. Like, I just don't feel like I'm doing anything. And, and she saw that on me. And, and when I started doing, you know, a business on the side while I was in corporate America and building mobile apps, um, with a friend of mine, she saw me light up. Um, she saw me get really excited. And, and so it was, it was pretty, it was pretty easy to sell her because, cause she cared about my happiness, you know? Um, mm -hmm. and, and she, you know, trusted in, in God and that's where our faith comes in. She was trusting in that, you know, this, this is how it's going to be, um, what's going to be best for our family moving forward and, and we're going to be taken care of. And so she's a rock. She's amazing. Um, there were several months during the first, you know, few months of leaving, security that were really tough and rough and I was in the corner, you know, crying like a little boy and she was, <laughs> she was picking me up off the ground. <laughs> she was picking me up going, that's no, okay. This is just part of the journey. Um, so all kudos to her, um, for that. I think she made it really easy to sell her on it because she's incredibly supportive and, and I love her for it. That's awesome. Awesome. Yeah. <clears throat> it's great to have that in life in general. So absolutely. Yeah. Well, thanks so much, Noah, for chatting about all these things. I think, I, I mean, I think <clears throat> a lot of our listeners are probably dealing with a lot of these problems in their own business. I know that both me and Ben are, I mean, we're always thinking about product market fit, how we can get our, our products to that next bar and know how things are going. And then, and then obviously executing on our plans with that is, you know, a big part of, of getting your business there. So tough problems that I think we're all kind of dealing with. So thanks for sharing your story with how, how you dealt with that. So that's awesome. Absolutely. Thanks for having me. And, and I, I love talking about 
um, you know, this stuff and, and journeys. And if there's anything that I can help with you guys or anyone listening, then I'm, I'm more than willing to, to have a chat. Awesome. So we'll put your, your links and everything in the show notes and, uh, see you all next week. Bye.